Okay. <clears throat> so talking about the nations, right? There's so many people who are out there, right? So many people to reach, right? What did Jesus say? The harvest is great, but the laborers are few, right? So God's trying to reach out and draw people to himself, right? For people who don't believe in Jesus yet. And so I just got to thinking about that, like biblical Christianity, following Jesus, right? And all, and all, and all the false forms that are out there. Because I see them, you know, I see them every day sometimes. They're trying to get people's attention and, and stuff like that. So I just started pondering. I started thinking, you know, from an outsider's perspective. So if you were somebody who didn't go to church and you weren't involved in, the, you know, in, in, in what we would call a, a false version of Christianity, um, if you were just a non-churchgoer completely, what difference would somebody like that see in us compared to, you know, the false churches that are out there, right? What, what's the tangible difference that a non-believer would see that they would say, oh, I think I'm going to go to visit Dan's church instead of this other person's church, or whatever, right? What's that tangible thing? <clears throat> so I just got to thinking about that, you know, and so to the outsider, I think in a lot of cases, they look the same, right? They, the other ones, they say, hey, we're a church. Okay, so they call themselves by the same name, church, church, no difference there. They say, we're family-oriented. You know, we're more family-oriented than evangelicals are, is what they is what they tell people. And so, okay, family-oriented, they claim that too. They claim values. They're like, we, you know, we have family values. We have values, right? We're a value kind of, kind of, you know, church. And so, th basically, they teach rule following just as well as anybody, right? They can follow rules just as well as anybody else. Um... They could in, indoctrinate people into their style of life, basically. They say the Bible. Like, if you go to some of the, you know, the Bible websites where you'd expect evangelicals to be the owners, um, they're not evangelicals. That's a hook from the false groups to try to get evangelicals in, right? Because they say, oh, the Bible. Why? Because, the, you know, the false, the false churches, they can weave together doctrinal or tapestries just as good as the Pharisees could, right? And they say, oh, Jehovah, Jehovah. It's all about the name of Jehovah. They cling to that as the one true God. So what makes us different, right? So as Christians, we appreciate these things. We have all these things in our view. We have this big panoramic of our spiritual life, and all those things are there. Sometimes our focus can shift from this one to that one, like, oh, we need to you know, build up our family you know, values time, and we need to go deeper into Bible stuff or whatever. But sometimes our focus can shift to to maybe to be a little too intense on one of those things or a couple of those things. Mm -hmm. So I just got to I, thinking about my own spiritual life and, you know, in the last 20 years, um, as God's worked, you know, in me and been changing me, the times when I've been at like spiritual, you know, high points and then where I've also been at spiritual low points. And I've, I've noticed a really common thing throughout the whole thing. There's one thing that really, that really makes me the most passionate, gives me the most energy and tremendous joy in my spiritual life. And you know what? I, I, I just believe with all my heart. It's the same thing that happens for the worldwide church, the true church. And the, the reason why the church is growing at a really rapid pace. And you know what that thing is? The one thing that we have that the other people don't have, they, they claim all those things, right? But what, the, what, what, what it is that they don't claim that they don't have is a real connection to Jesus. So it's not just that we say, yeah, the Bible and family and values. It's it's and and then Jesus also. It's that we stand up first and say Jesus, and He fixes all these other things in our lives too. Whereas everybody else says, uh, "Put Jesus to the side. We'll do all the other stuff," right? And so there's there's just nothing better than letting Jesus be our all in all, right? To, to where we can become insignificant. To just 
let him be so huge that we just love to be small in his sight, humble. And that's when we get joy unspeakable and full of glory, right? To let Jesus be our everything. Finding yourself to be ecstatic beyond words or comprehension, just to be in his presence. Why? Because he is the great king. That's so much better than anything on earth. That's so much better than winning the decathlon. So much better. The joy that Jesus gives outperforms everything else. So Jesus' titles, what do we call him? And Isaiah says his name, and I'm going to add some more after this, but he'll be called Wonderful. He'll be called Counselor. He will be called Mighty God. He will be called Everlasting Father. He will be called Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's also called the Fear of Jacob and the Desire of the Nations. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is Jesus. And with his name, sicknesses are healed and demons tremble and flee. False churches, they could claim the Bible. They could claim family. They could claim doctrine. They could claim Jehovah. And we would agree with those things. That's fine. But we shout Jesus first. Because only in Jesus is their life. And none of those other things get a person into heaven. They just don't. And in the last day when judgment is meted out, it's not going to be based on family. It's not going to be based on values. It's not going to be based on Bible doctrine. It's going to be based on two. It's a, it's a two-point test. Do you know Jesus? And did you do what he said? That's it. There's going to be so many people that he says, depart from me. Why? Because I never knew you. The relationship wasn't there. You who work iniquity. That's the second prong, which is, which is the proof test, the evidence of the relationship. If the relationship is really in place, then the fruit will happen. And so that's where Jesus says things like, um, you gave me food, you know, you gave me drink. That, that's the proof test. And it's also where he says, um, you know, you who work iniquity, right? And so, so anyway, knowing Jesus is the primary thing that's, that's going to be tested. And then, then the evidence, and the, you know, the fruit test comes along with that. But anyway, so without Jesus, there's no access to Jehovah God the Father either. So in Matthew eleven twenty seven. Sorry, I've got a lot of scriptures. Feel free to scribble them down. Okay. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Nobody knows the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son will reveal him. So claiming Jehovah God without rejoicing at the name of Jesus is proof that a person doesn't know Jehovah God. Without Jesus... The Bible can scratch our intellectual itch to investigate something, but it won't bring life. So that's John 5, 39 through 40. <clears throat> Jesus says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. We can study the Bible and weave together theological tapestries till we're blue in the face and the cows come home and still completely miss Jesus. The Pharisees did it, and people still do it today. Without Jesus, you can participate in all the family and values programs that your, that your day can allow. But those things can't earn salvation. It's all about Jesus. So Acts 4, chapter, 10, or chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. 
nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no name. Everybody say no name. No name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So what we're really saying is the false groups are out there pretending that they have salvation. You know what's interesting? And so when I um, see, when I notice things, what I notice is that those false groups, in order to get life, they can't find it in their own, you know, their own group. They have to come over to the evangelicals. They listen to our radio to get life. They listen to evangelical Christians, charismatic Pentecostals, in order to find life because they can't find it in their own groups. Right? <clears throat> so, they may have something, but it's not salvation. Because if it was, you know, it would pass the sniff test. It just doesn't pass the sniff test, right? It looks like salvation. It tastes like salvation. It smells like Actually, it doesn't. It doesn't look or taste or smell like salvation at all. Because it, what, I'll tell you what it smells like to me. It smells like indoctrination. It smells like programs. It smells like rules. It smells like good business strategies. And it smells like plastic smiles, but it doesn't smell like the joy of Jesus. So Philippians, we read that verse. Every knee will bow of those in heaven, on earth, and under earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because Jesus has revealed himself to us, his people, right? Like he's, so what makes us different? That Jesus has shown himself to us spiritually. That's the idea. To some people, he actually does it physically. I knew a guy at seminary, and that actually happened to him. He fasted for three weeks. Because he wanted to see Jesus' face. And after three weeks, he saw Jesus' face. Jesus appeared to him in glory. And, um, and he had this testimony. And it was, it was just really incredible. Anyway, so that doesn't happen. But, but at least it's spiritually where, where, where God puts this truth in our heart to say Jesus is alive. Right? And then he's removed our conscience of guilt and shame and filled us with joy. He is, he, yeah, he died. But he rose again. He's alive. He's not in the grave. And that's the thing that makes my heart rejoice with joy and speakable at all those high points in my Christian life. Sometimes I'd like get focus on this or focus on that. But the thing that brought me up again is focusing on Jesus. <clears throat> so whatever church or pseudo church a person may be a part of, the single factor that you need to evaluate is whether your heart rejoices at the name of Jesus. If it doesn't, then there's a problem. Mm -hmm. If the greatest rejoicing of our heart is not Jesus, then we might have lost our connection to Jesus and God the Father. We can become religious. We're walking this tightrope here in this world to, to be like Jesus. And sometimes you get off the tightrope a little bit, a little bit. You know what I mean? So in, in that case, God's calling you back to your first love, which is your preeminent love, Jesus. <clears throat> so it's possible that we can drift away, even if we are getting everything else right. Without Jesus, we can be we can be getting everything right, but still be completely wrong. Don't believe me? Listen to this. To the angel or the pastor of the church of Ephesus, this is Revelation two, verse one through seven. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. This is what he says: I know your works. And your labor, which is intense labor united with trouble and toil. I know your patience and perseverance and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they're apostles and are not. You have found them liars. You have, I mean, these people, doctrinally, they're pure, right? <clears throat> In terms of works, they're doing more than anybody else around them. 
You have persevered and have patience. They've got patience. They're persevering. They've labored for, for my namesake, even for, for Jesus' namesake, and have not become weary. They're toughing it out. This sounds like the church that you want to lead, you know. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. So what, what he's saying is you're working for Jesus, but you've forgotten to love Jesus. You've forgotten to include him in your life, right? You're doing these works for him, but not with him. And if when we fall into that, then we're no better than those false beliefs out there, the false churches out there. And then he says, so remember, so he, so he gives a prescription, three things. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. I'll say do repeat the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand, which is your church, from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, do you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So we can get ourselves into a spiritual funk. Say spiritual funk. Spiritual funk. It happens, right? Sometimes we just get off track a little bit. <clears throat> and it can and, and our life and our you know spirituality can look have all the all the outward signs that we're doing everything right, but we're just not abiding in Christ. And we've lost the life. We've lost our first love, just like the first century church. So when, when we find ourselves like that, what do you do? You follow the prescription that Jesus gave to the church at Ephesus. <clears throat> so please say, remember, remember. repent, repeat. repeat, repeat the first works. So what does this look like? How, how do you actually do that? I'll show you what it, I'll, I'll give you an insight to what it kind of looks like for me. And I'm not saying this is the way. I'm saying this is how, this is how God works in me. He might work in you similarly. So remember from where you've fallen, right? Remember your glory days when Jesus was your all in all and nothing else matters. You didn't care what anybody thought or said about you because you just love Jesus. And know this, the times ahead are going to be just as sweet. You can regain that joy again. You can. It's there. Don't let the enemy think that, that you can't. You can. It's there. Repent. <clears throat> turn back to Jesus with all your heart. Whatever it is that's stolen your attention, turn back to him with all your heart. Ask his forgiveness for walking away, even to do good things. Because without Jesus, even the good things we do um, is just void of the aroma of Christ. And you know, people can, people can smell that. People can discern the aroma of Christ. If we don't have it, then people know it, right? Then repent for any sin that comes to mind, right? When we're not abiding in Jesus, typically, that's not the only issue going on in our lives. Other things start to creep into because we haven't been uh, good at keeping our fields cleared out. And so there's probably something else that we've let in our lives that we need to go ahead and get rid of also, right? And he'll help us to do that. And then number three, repeat the first works. Do the first works or repeat the first works. So that what, what, what are the first works? Spending time with Jesus again. Just like you did when you first met him, right? When prayer was your everything, to just get a chance to talk to him and tell him what's on your mind. Mm -hmm. So that's, And I just, I'm just, just flabbergasted here at how God put all the songs together and what Marilyn had to say. It's just all like, I mean, if I chose every song and put every word in everybody's mouth, it, would align, it wouldn't have aligned this, this well. Um, Anyway, so tell, tell the Lord what you need. And what is it that you need at that point? You need his presence. You need him. And we've been singing about that and praying about that this morning. 
then worship. So, so repeat the first words, prayer, worship, and Bible reading. So prayer, we talked about that. Worship, listen to praise and worship music, right? Get alone with God and listen to some good stuff. It doesn't have, you know, maybe it'll be fast-paced, maybe it'll be slow-paced, maybe there's some, you know what's going to happen? Sooner or later, within a few songs, you're going to find a song that just resonates with your heart, and you're going to be like, I don't know what it is about this song, but it's just touching my heart, and I need more of it. And then I'll tell you what I do. I just put the song on repeat, and I just soak in that song, and I listen to it. Oh, you don't even want to know. <laughs> 20 times, something, you know, 40, I don't know. I just, I just let it repeat until it's like, you know, I'm like beyond that, that resonating, you know, like, okay, I'm, o- I'm okay now. Now I can move on to another song. So I just soak in it and let God work on my heart. I don't even know how he's working on my heart sometimes. But it's, but the song still resonates, and so I just keep listening to it. Let your tears run as God ministers to your heart. Then Bible reading, without an agenda and without a time limit, without you know trying to get something out of it to scribble down on a piece of paper, just spend time reading the Bible and listening for Jesus' voice. That's it. Just ask him to talk to you. That's what his word is for. He, it's there so he can talk to you. Just to spend time listening for Jesus' voice. Even if, he, even if you know what he has to say is going to hurt. You know what I found usually what happens with me? If what I know he has to say to me is like, okay, I know I've been doing wrong, so I'm going to get rebuked here. You know what happens so often? is it's, like it's, like, it's almost like he says, okay, he already knows it, so now I'm going to give him flowery words instead. And so I'm waiting for the, I'm waiting for the rebuke because I deserve it. And he just goes right past that. And, and he says, you know, I love you. You're important. I've got, a, I've got a plan. This is behind, you know, that kind of thing. But then on the flip side, if I go to the scripture and, and, and think, oh, I'm doing everything right, you know, kind of thing, then I, can get, uh, then I can get the rebuke that I wasn't expecting. So regardless of what he has to say, just be ready for him to say anything. And then, and then when you, as you read, when the words come across the page and they're, the way I, the way I, I explain this is they're like shiny. They like stand out more than the other words. Then soak on that. Let God talk to you through it. Weeping may remain for a night, but when does joy come? In the morning. Joy always always follows. So just you and Jesus with the goal of spending quality time together. Let him lead you. Let him love on you. <clears throat> okay. I know what you might be thinking. That doesn't sound manly enough. Well, hey, it was manly enough for King David, the king of Israel who won every battle he ever fought. Precisely, why, how, how did he do that? How did he win every battle? Because he did abide in the Lord's presence. So I'm going to read you Psalm 63, and then we're just, we're just going to read through it, and I'm going to tell you, give a couple, you know, cliff notes along the way. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. He's claiming back the relationship. Early I will seek you. He's prioritizing the relationship. It's the first thing I'm going to do in the morning, Lord. I'm not going to wait till noon. I'm not going to wait till 5 p.m. The first thing I do, I'm going to go, I'm going to get up early to do it even. My soul thirsts for you. Why? Because the Lord is my sustenance. He's my spiritual life. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. 
This is this is saying, you know, Lord, I've been I've been away from you, where no where where there's no water, and so he's saying, what I get from the Lord can't be gotten from any other source. So, I've looked for you in your sanctuary. He's saying, I stopped looking everywhere else. I'm going to God's house because that's where I know I can meet with my Lord. In your sanctuary, to see your power and your glory because seeing the exalted Lord brings me the greatest rejoicing. Verse 3, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. He's saying, I'm not going to be silent about this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to speak it out. Like, like Randy was leading us to sing out that song like we really do mean it, right? Thus I will bless you while I live. I'm alive today and I'm going to use it. I'm going to bless your name. I will lift up my hands in your name. That's adoration. That's like, that's kind of like, you know, my little Madeline who reaches up and, you know, pats me on the cheek sometime. That's kind of what that's like. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Because after you get through all those things, then he gives joy. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Is he going to, is he going to bed early and just sleeping it off? No, he's staying awake. He's saying, you know what? You are, I get up early because I want to spend time with you. And you know, I'm staying up late, oh Lord, because I, want, I still want to spend time with you. Because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. He's saying, I'm not letting go this time. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king, that's David, but the king shall rejoice in God. I'm going to rejoice in God. You don't get to the rejoicing until you first go through restoring the relationship. And then he says, everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. So our greatest rejoicing should be in Jesus Christ, exalting him, giving him all the glory of your life, seeing him in glorious splendor and the greatness of his position and thanking him for his sacrifice for you and me. So Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Say me. Mm-hmm. He loves me you and he gave himself for me for you <coughs> so chuck norris said <clears throat> real men love jesus but loving jesus won't mean that life gets easy for you it means you'll probably have to handle some more difficulties they'll just be different kind of difficulties so if you love jesus troubles are going to come your way They're, it's going to be the, the type of trouble that has to do with the clash of the two different worldviews that are out there today they're incompatible and and so one of them says there's no God. Do what you want. It's my body. It says there's no hereafter, no judgment. Eat, drink, and be merry. It says life is short. Have an affair. The other position, which is our position, says judgment is inevitable. And the only way to survive it is to turn to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. That's what we say. So the world around us postulates and they say, and they say, you know what? You're in, you Christians, you're in a position of weakness here. Just give it up. You're losing. Look at our numbers. We've got huge numbers. We're the ones who are winning. Your concepts are old. They're outdated. Soon you and your kind are going to be extinct. But you know what? Not soon enough, they say. 
John Lennon said, Christianity will, will go. It will shrink and it will vanish. I, need not, I needn't argue about that. I'm right, and I will be proved right. We are more popular than Jesus now, when the Beatles were a bit. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. John Lennon is dead, but Jesus is alive. But, but John Lennon, knowing what he knows, if he could have his, amass his entire fortune right now and use it for one wish, he would give it to spend 10 more seconds alive and so he could repent. He would give everything to do that. 10 seconds to just repent and believe in Jesus. This, this battle is real and it's worldwide and it's for the eternal souls of men and women. So we've chosen our side because we know Jesus. He showed himself to us, right? He showed himself strong on our behalves. And we know from his word that it's only a matter of time before Jesus returns to, in the clouds to gather his people and punish those who practice evil. So what, what the other side is missing, what they don't see is the armies of heaven waiting in the clouds. They don't see Jesus on his white horse. They don't know that at the blink of an eye, the Father's going to say, it's time. And then Jesus will come with all the armies of heaven and all of his people, and he will mete out justice. <clears throat> so in, in, in much of today's culture, being associated with Jesus is a mark of disdain. So if you want massive joy, you know what's really, what, what's really fun is to take a risk, to stand for Jesus. Put yourself out there for him, right? To be seen as a follower of Jesus. You'll probably be terrified to do it. That's okay. Do it anyway. You'll, you'll probably think, oh, I'm risking my good reputation with some of the people are, that, that I know. But Jesus, you know, risked his reputation and that he was despised for your sake and for my sake. So he knows what it feels like, and he can help you through it. But when you're despised for Jesus' sake, for his name, the greatest name under heaven, given among heaven by which men must be saved, he will flood your heart with such joy and strength. It takes guts. I'll tell you, it does take guts. But it is worth it. It is really cool to see what God does in, inside of you. So I wear my Jesus wristband, right? <clears throat> and on the other side is the church. <clears throat> and so I was at, um, we were doing some operating kind of thing, you know, control panels. And one of the other guys in my group, afterwards, he said, I saw your wristband. I didn't know you were a Christian. What church do you go to? And I thought, oh, this is interesting. So he said, he said, I go to the Presbyterian church, you know, whatever. He grew up in North Carolina, I think, in Presbyterian. So anyway, really nice guy. I didn't know he was a Christian either. But anyway, so I, so I said, I just got to kick out of this. And so I, I, I'm not like pushing the church anywhere. I don't think anybody at work even knows yet, except for Joe Reynolds. But Oh, and one other guy. Um, but anyway, so so I said, yeah, we go to Arise Church International. It's a new church. The, uh, the preaching's okay. The pastor's a decent guy. So, so we're, we're okay there. <laughs> I just, I just got to kick out of that. Yeah, sooner or later, he'll figure it out. And then he'll, but uh, anyway, so, but everybody has an expiration date. Food has an expiration date. And I have an expiration date, and you have an expiration date. And for non-Christians on that day, they may, people may disdain Jesus through their whole life, but on that day of their expiration date, they will wish that they could be associated with Jesus because he is the only way to the door of heaven. 
So right now he's trying to gather as many people into his fold as possible, right? So 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But you see, he's not going to trample on a person's free will. Free will is a divine human attribute given by God, and God will not encroach upon that. Each person must choose. Everybody must choose for themselves. And each person will receive what they choose, which is what they desire. Some people say, how could a loving God punish people in hell? He doesn't. People choose to go to hell. He offers salvation. So Jesus, look, Jesus did everything that he could possibly do to give you and me salvation. He lived the perfect life for you and for me. To count as your righteousness for you and for me. So we could be accounted righteous. He, as the spotless lamb of God, he took your sins for himself and he paid the price that you and I could never pay giving his life willingly for you and for me so we could be forgiven. He rose again and conquered the grave for you and me so we could be raised from the dead also and have newness of life with him and eternal life with him. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, accept his free gift. You don't need to learn Arabic. You don't have to do calculus. You don't need to run a marathon or climb a mountain. You don't have to sing or dance or jump or juggle. You only need to believe it's that easy. One of the most pointed questions in the New Testament came from the Philippian jailer about this, Acts 16, 30 and 31, or 29 through 31. Then he called for a light and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, if you're a preacher, that's like, that's like home run ball right there, right? Okay, so he said, so, so, so they told the Philippian jailer, who just, who just at, trembling, right? What must I do to be saved? So he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Future tense, punctilier action, which is, which is, it's not progressive. It's a, you know, it's a instantaneous thing and passive voice. So it happens to you, right? It's, it, it, it's without your part. You believe and the salvation happens to you and to you and your household. And then some more scriptures. Feel free to scribble them down if you want. Um, it's kind of it was kind of fun to do a word search just on just on save and salvation and it's it's just you know all over the place this thing John three sixteen John three thirty six John six forty seven Luke eight twelve Acts ten forty three Acts thirteen thirty eight thirty nine Romans one sixteen Romans nine thirty three Romans ten nine eleven Ephesians one thirteen Second Thess two thirteen Hebrews thirty nine ten thirty nine and First John five ten and then there, there's a couple other you know additional ones believe and be baptized a couple of those. But when you believe on him, then Jesus will give you a new heart and love for God and love for others. And he'll teach you and me how to live his way, which is the fruit of the spirit. That's the evidence of our of our salvation, right? That's going to be inspected and uh, for entry into heaven. But Jesus Christ did everything he could possibly do to make it so simple that even a child who couldn't read or write could figure out how to be saved. But you have to choose it. That's why I say, Jesus, God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. Mm -hmm. So my senior year of college, the Marine Corps gunnery sergeant that trained us, he said this really endearing thing to me that comes from a, from a Marine Corps you know, gunnery sergeant. He said, Jones, I'd love to have you in my beloved Corps, but I'm not going to kiss your fanny to get you there. Pretty endearing coming from a gunnery sergeant. <clears throat> so Jesus said, or Jesus basically is saying, I'd love to have you in my beloved heaven, 
but I'm not going to kiss your fanny to get you there. You have to choose it. Everyone has to choose for themselves. <clears throat> and so, um, Matthew 21, 42 through 40, and this is about the stone that the builders rejected that's become the chief cornerstone. So then there's, there's a part of this that I think is really cool. So in verse 43, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. That doesn't sound like two real good options. It sounds like, wow, I'm going to get it either way. I don't even know which one to pick, right? <clears throat> and so what it is, you fall on the stone of Jesus Christ, that's you choosing to come to Jesus Christ. It'll, it'll be a temporary hurt. It'll hurt your pride, right? He'll ask you to make some changes in your life, right? There, there, there'll, there'll be a little bit of hurt there, but it's temporary. You'll be broken. You'll be changed into his way. You know, kind of like, kind of like breaking a horse. You know, change his ways to the ways of the rider. But on who, on whomever the stone falls, it will grind him to powder. That's the eternal pain for rejecting Jesus. That's the eternal, eternal penalty. If Jesus falls on you, then there's just no hope after that. But if you go running to him and fall on him and let and and, and be broken to his ways, um, then it's temporary hurt. Um, but then you get a relationship with him. <clears throat> and so the people who say, you're fighting a losing battle, give it up, right? What they also don't know is Psalm 2. So I'm going to just read through this one quickly too, and then we'll be about done. <clears throat> Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Notice how it's like influential people, kings and rulers. Anyway, against the Lord and against his Christ saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So I'm going to give you a Brad Pitt quote. The actor, he said, I grew up in a very, I grew up very religious. He was first Baptist. That was his religion. So he's Baptist. When I got untethered from the comfort of religion, it wasn't a loss of faith for me. It was a discovery of self. That's what the psalm was talking about. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords away from us. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. You notice the progression here, laugh and hold them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and, and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I, I will declare the decree of the Lord. He, the Lord, said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the end of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a the rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, prudent, O kings. That's kind of like a, you know, a, con a contrary thing. Kings aren't normally prudent, right? At least back then, they didn't need to be prudent. So be prudent, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Judges don't, aren't expected to need instruction. They're expected to have all the instruction. They, but, you, but, the, but the Lord here is saying, you need to receive instruction and discipline. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Or to shudder violently. And then it says, kiss the son lest he be angry. To kiss was to embrace discipline. It was to re receive instruction and it was also to um, give homage to kiss. So to kiss the son, that's Jesus, right? That's what this is all about. And, and, and kiss the son lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled only a little. But blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So are we fighting a losing battle? No way. <laughs> No way. Jesus Christ is not dead. He is alive. He is the Lord of everything. 
And even though we don't see it yet, there will be a day that he comes from heaven and no more Mr. Nice Guy. He will root out wickedness and he will bring his people with him. We can't lose. We can't lose. So God's patience is long-suffering and trying to bring as many people to him. Right? The harvest is ready. It's, it's ready to be reaped. And it's our job to be able to go ahead and reap here as much as we can and around the world. Right? So if this isn't resolved in your mind, in your heart, then as long as you have breath, you still can submit your final answer. What's your final answer? You still have breath. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow, but you know what? You have lifelines today. You can reach out to Jesus. Call out to him. Kneel down to him. Ask him to forgive you for your sins, your wrongdoings. If that's too intimidating, reach out to a Christian friend. Reach out to a, grab one of those lifelines. They'll help you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive everybody. But you have to ask. And there's nobody so sinful that he won't forgive you that he can't. Just ask. So we'll go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come to you. We give you praise and glory and thanks. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you that at his name, demons tremble. At his name, diseases are healed. Sicknesses flee. At his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory, O oh Father. Help us to um, just foster the relationship with Jesus, our Savior, the thing that makes us different and it gives us the joy that others around us don't have. Help us to prioritize time with you and to just adore you. We ask that you would bless this church. We ask that you would keep each one of us safe we ask you to protect our families, protect our hearts, protect our minds, protect our kids. Bless us as we go today. And we thank you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen.